The other day I read online the most moving and romantic letter you could imagine. And in the interest of sharing the joy, I feel led to read it to you. So if you need to take out a tissue and dab an eye, please feel free to do so. Dearest Joanna, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. I realise now that I have been selfish and foolish. I regret my decision with all my heart. No one could ever take your place in my life, so please forgive me. Please say you'll take me back. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Daniel. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. (laughs) It's everyone's dream, isn't it? Uh, To win the lottery or uh, make a shrewd business deal that brings you such a windfall that you can retire today and live in great luxury. Or to receive a letter out of the blue which informs you that your billionaire great aunt, who you never even knew existed, has died and left you Beverly Hills. (laughs) Welcome to Jeff Bezos. Welcome to Bill Gates. Welcome to a nameless, restless, joyless young man and his encounter with Jesus. Deacon John Francis read it just now. The story of someone who had so much going for him. So many positive qualities. A personality that was genuinely warm, truly generous, unquestionably holy. But his wealth gave him no happiness, his devotion no peace. He was shrouded by the deep, dark knowledge that even though he was at the top of the pile, that apex was too sharp to sit on. He was lost in frustration, blinded by the futility of it all. He's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. He's the rich young ruler. But there is way more to him than his youth, wealth and power. I like this man. I'd love to spend the weekend in his mansion, sip something cool by his pool, pet the peacocks in the gardens, maybe even take a spin in his Ferrari before filling myself with the finest of feasts. And not just to experience his luxury, but because he really is a good man, a sincere man, a man who has a conscience and a heart. Let's list his good qualities. He's respectful. He approaches Jesus one day and kneels before him. Then he calls him good teacher. And I bet he meant it. He's religious. He has kept all the commandments since childhood, at least the five that Jesus asks him about. He has never stolen. His business dealings are lawful and ethical. He is honest and truthful. He is not violent or coercive. He loves and honours his parents. And he has never even come close to cheating on the wife he adores. I love this guy. And one more thing, 
The quality that tips him over from being just another good guy into a person of true substance. He is self-aware. He's not trying to kid himself that his wealth or his good deeds have given him a contented life. They haven't, and he knows it. He is lost. He feels his alienation from God, and he is courageous enough to admit it in public. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. Here are the verbs in Jesus' challenge. Clear, powerful verbs. Strong imperatives. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then come, follow me. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Go, sell, give, come, follow. I wonder which one broke his heart. Which was the one that caused him to walk away grief-stricken? Go, sell, give, come, follow. Which would it be for you? Maybe it was sell, perhaps it was give. Surely it was one of those, because he was straining at the leash to do the last two. Coming to Jesus and following him were top of his to-do list that day. He was all about coming and following. He just didn't get the heartbreaking but liberating truth that before we can come to Christ and follow him, everything that stands in the way of wholehearted commitment must be sold and given away. For the rich young ruler, it, was, it happened to be his possessions. For Nicodemus the Pharisee, it was his religious reputation that had to be sold and given up. For Saul of Tarsus, it was hate that had to be placed on the sacrificial altar before he could become the Apostle Paul. For others, it is the self-absorbed insular life that must be sold and given up before they can follow Christ. For yet others, it is negative thought patterns, destructive habits, deadly addictions. For me, at age 15, it was my parents. (laughs) Not literally, you understand. I didn't give up my mum and dad. But I did have to sell and give away my reliance on their faith. I needed, instead, to commit to a faith of my own. No longer a second-hand experience of Christ, but one that was personal to me, was forged on my experience of God's love, not theirs. My belief in Jesus, not theirs. My heart decision to be a disciple, and not theirs. The key to understanding this young man is in the list of commandments Jesus cites. 
you probably notice that Jesus didn't list all ten. He lists only five. Murder, adultery, theft, lying and dishonouring parents. If he'd, had, if he'd uh, have added covet, coveting, then he'd have mentioned the final six of the ten. These six govern human relationships. They are not about loving God, but about loving our neighbour. But what if Jesus had listed the first four, especially the first one, you shall have no other gods before me? Now there's a problem. Now the rich young ruler is squirming. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Six out of ten ain't bad. The rich young ruler loves people, but the other four are also vital. His love for God is lacking. There's an idol, a graven image, a God that has taken the place of the creator. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says elsewhere, and this young man is exhibit A. This encounter is a springboard. After the young man has left the pool and gone to the changing room, Jesus eagerly leaps off the springboard and splashes into the water below. He has more challenging things to say about money, and one in particular. How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now before we also climb out of the pool and walk away from Jesus, let me reassure you that he is not talking literally. It is impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle, but it is not impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Scripture tells the story of many righteous, holy men and women who were wealthy. Abraham, for example, had over 300 servants and so many camels, sheep and donkeys that the writer in Genesis didn't even bother to number them. And it's not just men. In Acts, we meet a wealthy businesswoman called Lydia who dealt in purple fabrics with powerful people and VIPs. And she was a leader of the early church. So Jesus' point is not that it's impossible for anyone with wealth to receive the kingdom of God. Just that it's difficult. Now, I don't need to tell you how challenging this is for modern Western people like us. We, especially in the US, tend to believe that money is a blessing. People who have it in abundance are blessed by God. The problem with this is that it is only a short step to concluding that those without it are not blessed. We think of money as being a reward from God for hard work and self-control. If you have it, it's because you deserve it. But that comes dangerously close to assuming that if someone does not have money, it's because they deserve to be poor. They must be lazy or foolish or wasteful. 
Imagine a TV commercial for a prescription medication. You've seen hundreds of them. The images you see are of happy people enjoying life to the full, often in the company of loving partners and families. Oh, and dogs. They are active, healthy, and free from suffering. But the voiceover and the tiny writing on the bottom of the screen present a frightening alternative reality that jars with the images. This can kill you. And even if it doesn't, it may still cause you legion of miserable side effects. Now imagine a TV commercial for money. The happy images are produced by our society, proclaiming the all-round well-being that money will give you. But there's a voiceover, and it's the voice of Jesus. Money can kill you, and even if it doesn't, it can wreck your life. It can cause you to take your eyes off what is truly important, persuade you to use up your time, your family and your health on what does not satisfy. It's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor and not blessed are the rich. In fact, of all the times the New Testament talks about money, it is never in a positive light. At best, it is dangerous. At worst, lethal. The rich young ruler is a fine man, a good person, moral, respectful, someone I'd like as a friend. And so, I want to finish by doing something daring. Today, this story has been read in nearly all Anglican, Roman Catholic and Lutheran churches around the world At this very minute, there are thousands of preachers saying that the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus to go back to his old life. And the thing he was grieving was his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to follow Christ that he had just spurned. Well, I want to break with 2,000 years of interpretation and make a different, more beautiful assumption about the end of this story. Mark says he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. So let's assume good motives. Let's believe he was walking away to gather his possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, and then return to follow Jesus. And let's imagine that the thing he is grieving is not the lost opportunity to be Christ's disciple, but the loss of his idol that he was about to sell. Why do I want this happy ending? Because God loves rich people. His heart bursts for them. They are called to a life that is full of stern temptations. They are charged with an awesome, grave, weighty list of responsibilities to use their wealth for the cause of justice and the kingdom of God. To whom much is given, of that person much is expected, Jesus says elsewhere. 
They need God's support to make those righteous decisions. Many, many fail this challenge. Yet God still loves them and calls them back to think again. To go, sell, give, come, follow. This tale is no dear John letter, but a love story. Amen.